podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The tenth time they've made it! They've won a playoff campaign! And they've done it at Wembley! And for the first time in 74 years, Brentford will play in the top flight of English football! Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Elam Road podcast, where on tonight's show... We're going to be running through a disappointing day at Anfield on Sunday. This week's hot topic, as well as just going through the last few games before we get to the international break uh, that's coming up just this week. Talking us through tonight is Craig. Craig, how are we, mate? Yeah, not too shabby, mate. Thanks for having me on again. Good stuff, good stuff. Dan's here too, mate. Dan, all good? Yeah, all good. It was a decent weekend despite the result. <laughs> yeah, no, I saw I saw your Instagram stories. It sounded like it looked like you had a good time, mate. <laughs> Great night. Best night out in the Premier League. You reckon? Better than Newcastle? It's, I would say Liverpool, but I can understand why people say Newcastle. I think uh, out of the two, th- those two are definitely up there just because of how cheap they are. I, I know that there's like there's, there's, there's this whole kind of weird myth that it's really cheap up north, but I think Newcastle and Liverpool are the only two places up north where it's cheap. You've got both Manchester's, which is basically like London. Leeds is deceptively like London, depending on where you go. Uh, whereas Newcastle and Liverpool, you can get trebles from fivers and all that nonsense but yeah it looked like you had a good time dan so let's let's just get into music (laughs) known for its music exactly that exactly that remember guys before we get going uh just please do subscribe to our youtube and spotify channels leave a rating as well and also give us a follow on our socials that's at the eden road on twitter and at eden road pod on instagram right liverpool first of all dan what are your initial thoughts walking out of anfield on sunday yeah, I thought we played much better than results suggest. I thought it was very harsh, the result. Um, in, I was very impressed with Liverpool as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I think the difference really was in key moments, equality told. Um, and I'm sure we're going to go into it, but I think, you know, we miss certain chances that they, they will take. Um, and in games like this, you know, you've got to take them, otherwise you will lose. Um, but, yeah, I was quite impressed with Liverpool as well. And, yeah... I think 3-0 is a bit harsh, but we probably did deserve to lose. But I, I can't be too disheartened. It was it was always going to be a free hit, I think. You echoing that, Craig? Uh, I don't think I can say anything else. He's kind of hit the nail on the head perfectly, yeah. The, the only thing I would say is we've just beaten by the better team this weekend, unfortunately. Yeah, I think uh, with the players they've got, man for man. Um, I remember talking to Neil Atkinson before and he said, you know, he expects Liverpool to win because we've got better players in most positions on the pitch, if not all of them. And I think when you've got players like Salah, who is firing on all fronts and has been for the last six or seven years, Nunes was had a really good game, I thought, as well. It's, it's going to be tough, especially if you don't take those chances. Uh, we'll, we'll go through the goals, but we should mention those chances in the first half. I think the first one, watching it back... I don't know what Wisser is doing there, Dan. He's kind of like, I don't think he realises how much time he actually has when, when Ben Mee kind of hooks it back across the six-yard box. He goes for the flick-on, which in in if, he, if he'd have pulled it off and actually done it instead of just completely missed the ball and kind of just half-heartedly just jumped past it, I think we might have maybe crafted a bit of a chance. But it's one of those where I just don't think he realises how much time he's got and and as a consequence does nothing with it and just completely misses it, doesn't he? <laughs> Yeah, um, there there was space, and I don't know if it was a quite an awkward angle because it was obviously I don't know was it high or was it? Yeah, it was kind of. Down? I don't. Drop, really it drops to weird. it drops to him, and he's got quite a bit of time to think about it. Uh, but he decides to go for the flick on, and it just does not come off at all. 
<laughs> yeah, I think normally in those situations you'd back him because I think he is normally quite composed and like when he's given a chance, he's normally quite good in front of goal. But yeah, I mean, we that was at the other end to the away end. So like it's really hard to see when you're in the stands, like how close it is. But yeah, yeah. I mean, even after when it kind of dropped to Pinnock, I think in the end, like yeah, yeah it, look, it looked a massive chance. And yeah, normally I'd back Whistler in those situations. We'll talk about Wissa's performance overall because he's another one, like sort of every week when he doesn't score, people people come out and the jury's out on Wissa, the people get really frustrated with him. Um, and I think it's, it's it's clear to see why sometimes he he does just do things wrong and is is really frustrating player because when he's on his game, he's really good. And when he's linking up with Brian, he's really good. Uh, but he struggled on Sunday. We'll, we'll get on to that. I think, Craig, the, the most clear-cut chance that we had, obviously Brian... Goes through on goal one and one, gets past, gets on the right side of Trent Alexander Arnold after uh, another amazing ball by Matty Jensen. What are you thinking when he goes through one and one? Because I just, I don't know with Brian, I'm never convinced he's going to put these chances away. He's, he, he'll, he'll score the difficult ones and he'll miss the sitters. I'm thinking, I wish it was Wisser going through. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm more confident when Wisser's going through one on one that he's going to finish. More than Brian is now. Don't get me wrong. There have been chances this season where Brian has gone through one on one and he's put it in the back of the net. Most notably, off the top of my head, Bournemouth equaliser. The Bournemouth equaliser is the one where he's brought the ball down incredibly and then yeah. put it past the keeper in the in the in injury time, wasn't it? But I mean, he's done everything right. It's a great ball over the top. It's a great first touch out in front of him. Gets in front of Trent, as you say, the right side of Trent, and you're thinking. Just put it in the back of the net. Just put it in the back of the net. Or take it round the keeper. Do, do whatever you're going to do. Just make a decision and do it. <laughs> and he just sort of half-heartedly scoops the ball. And it was it was, it was was pretty easy to defend in the end um, to clear the ball. But, yeah, I, I just wish it was Wissa. <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. It's a shame that last season when he kind of not a similar chance, but he did go through one-on-one and buried it, but it was offside. Uh, but yeah, I, I never really feel too confident with Brian. And even in that game against Bournemouth, when he buried the 1v1 that he had, he missed an absolute sitter in the second half as well. So it's like with Brian, he's never going to have three shots and have three goals. There's always going to be one or two misses in there. We should talk about um, some players. I, I was going to talk about the goals, but I just think there's not too much to say on them. I think Onyeka probably should have done better defending Jota in the third goal. Um Salah's, Salah's first, I, I was watching it back on the highlights, I think me could have done better. It points to a talking point that we've got to talk about because Mads Ruslev has come under a bit of stick on Twitter as he does regularly throughout the season. Um, but I think I think a lot of people uh, are saying he's not good enough. And to be honest, I think it, he probably isn't good enough to quite cut it in the Prem as, as a fullback, but he does a job, which is why I like him. And he gets put in these positions when he's not that comfortable when he's coming up against Salah, who's one of the best, if not the best winger in the league. Um, and he does a job and he, he he tries to do a job. But unfortunately, it's not quite come off for him on Sunday just because of the calibre of opponent that he's coming up against. Dan, what were your thoughts on Maz Reslow? Because he is one of those players that, that gets a lot of heat on Twitter. Yeah, well, firstly, just looking at yesterday's game, um, he was obviously he's a right back and he was asked to play left back on the wrong side against the best right winger in the league. So there is a bit of a caveat there. I think generally when it when it's one on one defending, like he, I, I think he's okay. But yeah. I think in those types of games where we're playing a back five, and we don't just want to hoof the ball back to them as soon as we get it back, 
I think he perhaps might be the biggest culprit at doing that instead of remaining a bit more composed and trying to build something from the back. I, I think sometimes he just kicks it almost aimlessly and it results in Liverpool coming straight back at us. And that's the only thing I would say. But I think it's also harder being a right footer just on the left-hand side and also mm-hmm. being able to do that. And obviously it, it wasn't natural for him. Um, Greg, what are your thoughts on Mads? I want to go back to the last time we played a back five, which was the Chelsea game. And he got to play on the right-hand side because Hickey um, was obviously playing against Chelsea. And I I, I think defensively he's a bit... bit, I I don't really know what the word I'm looking for is. I I don't trust him. But he didn't have a, a bad game at Chelsea, playing on that right side of a back five. But then again, he had Aya or just as the right centre-back, covering for him a lot as well. So maybe I made him look a lot better than he actually was. But I would have rather we played Janel left wing-back. I, I still would have rather we played Janel left wing-back. Now, don't get me wrong, he might have against Salah. But I just feel like, like Dan just touched on there, having that left-footed player on the left side of back five would have helped us massively as well. Janel's also also a lot more comfortable on the ball. I'm not so panicky when the ball comes to him. And, and as Dan Dan alluded to there, as soon as the ball comes to Mads, it's it's a oh get rid of it, get rid of it. It's got yeah. to go. it's got to go. There's no there's no calmness to it. It always seems a bit rushed. So I think I think Jury's still out on him. He's I think he's still quite young. He's got a lot of learning to do. And we're constantly changing that defence and who we play. So he's constantly playing different roles. So it's different, difficult for him to kind of make himself a homestead in that team. Do you know what I mean? Especially with the competition around him. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a good point that you make about when he played against Chelsea, had Aya next to him, who was a rock that day and has been sort of throughout the last four games. Whereas Ben Mee, I, I felt really I felt really sorry for Mads Resta because I was watching the highlights and I watched that second goal, uh, Salah's. Salah's opener and it was really good played by Liverpool and we have to give credit to them like you did Dan they are a really good team and I expect them to challenge for the title this season but I think when Nunes picks up that ball I think Ben Mee knowing he's like kind of backing off him he hasn't got touch tight to him so he can't make the challenge straight away but Salah's going in behind him and kind of when Salah scores everyone turns around and and looks at Rerslev as if to say you've dropped your man and he did drop his man he probably should attract him but I think Maybe with Aya next to him instead of Ben Mee, he's just come back into the t- just come back into the side. He might have fared better on Sunday. I do. I don't want to give Flecken any heat because he's had enough. Was anyone watching that uh, Salah's second and on the highlights and thinking maybe Flecken could have done better with that? Kind of just gave up as he walked towards the far post. Craig, goalkeeper Craig. I I, I think it's a bit unfair to just blame him. When from, I'm not blaming, him, from the away I'm not, end, I'm not blaming him, but I'm just, I, I'm just looking like, at the highlights. I, I, I'll word it differently. I think it's, it's a bit unfair to single him out when from the away end. Uh, I don't know if Dan will agree with me. It looked like everyone just stopped, and yeah. then the balls, the balls gone in the back of the net, and, and even again, I'm hoping Dan will agree. The Liverpool fans just didn't seem to celebrate it. Everyone had stopped. The Liverpool fans did a bit of a, a yay. And then, and then the ball was on the six-yard line as if to take a goal kick. So everyone was like, well, I don't know what's going on here anyway. But, you know, first world of football is you play through the whistle. And the fact that our defence, everyone, has just stopped playing is what's 
cause that. And I don't think it's fair to single Flecken out there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't. I don't want to single out Flecken. It, it might. You might be right because watching back on the highlights, as soon as that ball goes in the back of the net, every Brentford player has got their hand up and is looking at the referee. So they've all kind of thought that it's going to get ruled out. But um, I just, I was just watching it back, and I was just thinking he's already kind of running towards the post. So he had momentum. If he'd have dived, he probably would have saved it. But anyway, we don't need to talk about Flecken because we're, we're on the Flecken happiness train. We don't want to give him good save for Van Dyke though from Flecken. great save, oh, yeah, save. unbelievable unreal. save, unbelievable save. Yeah, no, we're giving him his props there. Uh, let's let's do want to talk about uh, Wisser as well. Uh, we should also chat about the endo VAR check. Um, I tweeted out on the Elam Road Twitter that I thought it would have been quite harsh to give him a red. Having said that, with Paul Tierney's view of that tackle and <clears throat> the fact that it went to VAR, well, no, I guess they, they wouldn't have overturned it anyway just because if there wasn't a red card, then they can't do anything about it. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on the red card, Dan? Did you did you see Thomas Frank's post-match comments? I mean, I thought he spoke quite well without damning the referees and blaming it on the referees completely. He said, you know, in today's game, that is a red, and they want consistency. If De Silva's last season is a red, if uh, the Copenhagen one, the, Rash- the Rashford against Copenhagen one is a red, etc. So, what, what did you think about the the tackle? No, I generally agree with Thomas Frank. I mean, there's there's no question that it's a foul and a yellow at the very least. Um, yeah. I can't believe nothing got given for that. Um, I think when you look at where the ball was, Norgard and Endo both had a right to go for the ball. And I don't doubt that both of them were going for the ball, but it looked like Endo kind of left a foot on Norgard, like just below his knee. Um, and you've seen them given. And I think the problem with this whole consistency thing is VAR is probably one of those where they would only overturn it. Well, they wouldn't overturn it. So whatever the referee gave, it's one of those that VAR probably wouldn't overturn. But the problem is with that, and I get that VAR should only like, overturn something if they consider it clear and obviously wrong. The problem with that, you're always going to get a different result because of the like the referee on the pitch will always subjectively go one way or the other. You know, pundits and like ex referees will probably say different things on that. So it's I think it's very very difficult to come to a solution with that when you know everyone's disagreeing. And you know, I'm not an expert on the rules, especially compared to like referees. And if they're all disagreeing on you know subjectively whether that should be a red or not or whether there's you know it's not black and white then maybe the issue is more with the rules but then if you think about the rules then there's a number of different things that could happen in a game and to revamp the rules completely so it's all black and white is also it might even be quite unrealistic so yeah I, I I've, I'm not massively aggrieved that that wasn't given to be honest yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right, mate. Quite lucidly summed up there. Let's go on to uh, Wisser because he's getting a lot of heat as well. I think Wisser and Rursler are the two players that have that have attracted the most attention on on Twitter on the Twitter sphere. The the sort of pit that Twitter becomes after a Brentford loss, where everyone's just throwing in their negativity. Uh, I don't want to get called a happy flapper for this, by the way, because I, I do get quite negative after games too. So I'm not a happy flapper. But Wisser, Craig, he's sparked some controversy, attention, what have you made, what do you make of him on Sunday? What have you made of him in this season? Because I think when we talk about Wissa, it, it wouldn't be fair if we kind of just single him out for his bad games because he has been good for the majority of the games this season, I would say. He's he's arguably one of the most hot and cold players I've seen in a Brentford shirt where he, I liken him to Romain Sawyers back when we was in, in the Championship where if he has a, if has a good game, it's a blindy game. And everyone will come out afterwards, give him his bullets, things like that, give him the credit where it's due. But if he has a bad game, he's almost invisible. It, 
it, it's kind of playing with 10 men. Sunday, yesterday, uh, I, I don't think he had a, a massively bad game, but he didn't influence the play, in my opinion, whatsoever. He was just kind of putting himself about, shutting down Allison with every goal kick that they had, running around. He was just one of those players that was there being a nuisance, but not actually doing anything, in my opinion. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Dan, Dan, obviously, you were there with me in the away end, but like, he just he ran around for the, for the time that he was on the pitch. He, he ran around consistently, chased the ball down, shut the goalie down when the ball went back to him. <laughs> I don't know what else he done, though. Like, he didn't do anything else. <laughs> like, that was it. What do you reckon, Dan? I, I think when everyone's fit, I prefer Wissa as an impact sub because I think his best quality is probably his finishing and games open up the later they go, especially if we're, um, well, normally when we're ahead, I suppose it'll open up more. But, you know, as, as we get more desperate for a goal and we're pushing forward, you know, we're more likely to perhaps get that big chance. And I, I would trust Wissa in that situation. But in terms of wanting someone up there who can be a nuisance and who can close things down and who can perhaps even link up slightly better, I'd probably go Neil Morpe over him. And I'll be interested to see that next time we play about five to see, you know, what it would look like with Morpe and, and Bumo as a front two and Wissa as more of an impact sub. But what, yeah, I mean the next time the next time we play a back five is going to be against Arsenal. Do you do yeah, you see definitely. Neil Mope? Do you see Neil Mope making that switch for Wissa, Dan? I, I like him too. I don't think he will. I don't think Thomas <laughs> Trout will do that. But I would like him to. Um, I'd like to see Yarmolyuk start as well. I think after his performance, after his performance yesterday. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure he, he'd do that. But yeah, would you like him to? I think I, I think I'd like him to. Yeah, no, I think yeah. uh, especially with how he played against um, West Ham. I think definitely, he, he's been really good in, in the games. In the games where he's played and he started, he, I think he's he's been one of our best players. So it's quite harsh that when we switch to a back five, he kind of immediately leaves the starting lineup just because Witter and and Bumo, with the way we want to play, because Witter's got more pace, it's kind of he's better in, in the counter attacking situations, or at least Thomas Frank sees that he's better in the uh, counter attacking situations. Jan Mulek, though, let's let's speak about him because he's uh, another impressive performance. Would you like to see him start against Arsenal, Craig? I know, I know, it's a bit of a tough ask, and again, it's one of those things where we'd like to see him start. We don't think Thomas Frank would do it because Thomas Frank's too pragmatic, he's too clever, and he's he's not going to throw a, a young player like that into a, into a big game against potential tight and challenging side. So, so in an ideal world, for me, Janel would go back to left wing back, left back. Frank Onyeka wouldn't be anywhere near the starting eleven after the last couple of games. We gave him his plaudits a few weeks ago. He, he played really well, but he's he's again been a bit non-existent. Coming on, throwing himself around on Sunday, it was just a bit embarrassing again. Um, for me, it would be Janel goes to left wing back, uh, Ayers on the right, and it's Norgard, Yarmelyuk, and Jensen in the middle. He's been unreal every time he's come onto the pitch. It, me and my old man have the conversation after every game. Is he comes on and he's just a shining light in that midfield. And he's unreal. Unlike Mads, sometimes calm on the ball, can pick a pass. He's got pace to him. He's up and down the pitch consistently. He puts himself about. I mean, there was chances, there was instances where he's got the ball on the touchline and, and it might have been Trent or whoever it was. And he's flicked the ball over him and all of a sudden we're moving up the pitch. And it's like, for someone so calm to, to be... To someone so young, sorry, to be so calm on the ball against a side like Liverpool, 
I'd start him. I'd start him in midfield. I think that he's had a run of substitute appearances where they've progressively got longer and longer to the point now we're not throwing him in. We're not throwing him into the midfield at all. We've warmed him up to the point where he's now good enough, in my opinion, to start in that midfield midfield alongside Norgard. I just think he's been brilliant. Dan, you, you echo that? Yeah, I was telling my mate that he's seeing the next big thing and in, in five years' time. <laughs> Everyone will know will know him. Um, no, I'm, I'm always a bit wary to like put too much pressure on players like that because obviously he's only really played you know a handful of appearances off the bench. But just the way he looks after the ball, the way he can like happily flick it over on the Liverpool players and you know keep the ball in that way in like tight spaces is amazing. And yeah, I think he deserves a start. He's come on at Stamford Bridge when we're one nil up, which is probably in that situation when you're one nil up and defending the lead. I think he played at least 20 minutes in that game. You know, he's trusted and obviously to come on at Anfield as well. I know he's a bit further behind, but they're not easy places to play. Um, although it was a bit quiet on Sunday. But um, yeah, like I think he's he's earned it. And, you know, to start home against Arsenal is probably a slightly better environment for him to get his first start and nothing to lose in that game, really. So I don't see why he can't offer more. And with him and Onyeka both playing that second half or majority of the second half in Yarmouliot's case, I thought he looks better than him. And I don't know where you'd now, I don't know if you now is injured because I thought it was a bit weird he came off at halftime. Mm. Yeah, 100%. I think, uh, uh, Thomas, if you're listening, go on, Craig. I, I was going to say, just, just on Yarmouliot and his Chelsea performance, he was also unlucky not to score against yeah. Chelsea. You know, it, we, we, I just mentioned about how he's calm on the ball and things like that. He's got so much pace as well. He's deceptively quick. And I think that having him alongside Norgard would do us a lot of favours. Because Norgard is our midfield general. You know, He's going to hold the midfield. He'll win the ball or he'll get studied by their, their midfielders like he did with Endo. And then Yarmouliot can just progress the ball. He does it so well for such a young player, does it so well. Right, yeah. Thomas, if you listen, Yarmulia, give him a start against Arsenal. It's going to be difficult, obviously, because, um, well, we, we have these kind of fanciful dreams as fans, but they just never really come true, really, when, especially when we're playing against Arsenal. It's going to be quite a high-stakes game. We should talk about the away end on Sunday. I have to confess, I wasn't actually at the game. I was in Dublin, but I managed to find a pub and watch it. Not that I could hear the atmosphere from from the away fans, but I've seen a lot of things on Twitter and we're all quite tuned into it, considering how long we've all been doing away games at Brentford, especially sort of League Two, League One championship days. We've been to these top six games before. I can think of basically every single top six game we've been to, bar maybe Chelsea away last season. The atmosphere is always a little bit flat. Um, I think that would be a bit of an understatement. But Craig, I'll, I'll let you get your thoughts out on this one because I know you were keen to talk about it. So just the, the away end on Sunday, what, what went wrong? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> where do we start there? God, where did it go wrong? I think the general consensus sort of across social media is it was dreadful. Like, you, you can see people posting saying it was the worst experience. I, I tweeted saying that that was the worst away end that I've been in since we've been in the Premier League. And I had a couple of people responding to my message saying that they'd had other Brentford fans asking them to stop shouting or other people in the end asking them to stop shouting during the game. Now, right by me 
a mild man. We were stood there together next to uh, two other Brentford fans on one side. And now I'm all I'm all for people coming and experiencing the away day. But there was guys who were tourists, obviously tourists. They weren't Brentford fans. I don't think they were Liverpool fans. They were just tourists. And they were sat there with their phones recording the whole game. Uh, and it sounds stupid saying it out loud, but I shit you not. The whole game, they sat there recording it from the You'll Never Walk Alone at the start of the game, which is always dreadful whenever we go there, to them scoring, to, to them making substitutes and taking corners. They did everything bar celebrate the Liverpool goals. Now, there were people in front of us that were, were saying, he called up one of his mates, talking about Flecken, said, your keeper hasn't caught a ball with the second half, jokingly, or not. I don't know if he did catch it. <laughs> but jokingly or not, he said, your goalie ain't done nothing this second half. And it's like, what do you mean your goalie? You're in the Brentford end. What do you mean your <laughs> goalie hasn't done that? And and they, I, I went for a piss in the first half. And I counted, there was three people next to us. There was two people in front of us. And it was just after they scored. You walked down to the front and everyone's there like that just recording all of their fans celebrating their goals. And it was the most frustrating and embarrassing experiences as an away fan to go there to have zero atmosphere, zero atmosphere. Uh, There was maybe one or two at the beginning. People were trying and Dan Dan and I were just talking as you'd had some problems a moment ago about how they've changed the away end there where previous years they've had a bit of roof which would cover the last five or six rows. But that's blocked off now. So it just goes up to a certain point and then the upper tier starts. Obviously, they're still working on all of that. But it's almost like an open-end away end now. The roof is so high that you can't generate any atmosphere there, period. It was dreadful. But it was just, they did everything but celebrate the Liverpool goals. So many people on social media have had problems with that away end and Mike I said to you on the first time I was on on this pod I said to you the novelty of being in the Premier League has worn off and that away end was full of non-Brentford fans and I've never left the game being more frustrated with the the fans than the football we lost the and I'm more pissed off about how many people were there with their cameras out the whole game. What do you think about that, Dan? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, just in general, a Sunday 2 o'clock kickoff doesn't create the best atmosphere in general. I think a lot of Brentford fans, like myself, probably went out Saturday night and probably weren't in their most loudest spirits on Sunday. Um, but also, I've noticed with all the tickets for pretty much every game now, it's taking longer for Brentford to sell them. And Brentford are also starting to allow, I think I saw today for like Brighton. I'm not even sure Brighton's even gone on sale just to season ticket holders. I think it's just gone straight to season ticket holders who can also buy six tickets. Um, Which is fine. I'd bring friends sometimes who never grew up supporting Brentford, but they still generally get involved and they certainly don't stand there with their phone the whole game. I won't let them. But, um, (laughs) But 
yeah, that my friends get involved, and you know they've probably kind of taken on Brentford as their like their at least their second team, and perhaps you know in some cases that their their first team because like they've come to games with me in the past. But yeah, I think the atmosphere in general, home and away end, was not great um, yesterday. I, I, have, I think I have I, noticed sorry, as well this sorry, Mike, kind of. I have to say it's it's really put myself. And other people who I've seen on Twitter, it's really put us off of going to away games for big six clubs where we can't sell the tickets anyway. If we can't sell the tickets, get less. Stop getting mm. the full application and just sell it to Brentford fans that want to be there. I would rather, I would rather we took 1,800, 2,000 fans to Liverpool who are going to be loud, who are going to get behind the team than 3,000 who are just going to sit there with their dicks in their hands, watching the football, doing nothing else. It was so frustrating. And I'd rather we had a lower a lower, you know, amount of tickets and more noise than more people and less less atmosphere. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I noticed as well, Dan, you mentioned about how the ticket sales are going up to sort of every member can buy up to six tickets. And that's happening way more often than it used to. Um, I remember yeah. sort of in the first season, the crowd especially, that away tickets sold out like gold dust, whereas now they're they're quite readily available whenever you want them. Um, it's a tricky one because I don't really know what the solution is. I mean, we've now been in the Premier League for three seasons, our third season in the Premier League. So naturally, I feel like people are going to look at games and be like, oh, I can miss that one and I can miss that one, I can miss that one. Um, but... I think the, the kickoff times really don't help. So Sunday in Liverpool, 2pm, everyone's got work the next day. Uh, it's, a, it's a tricky one, but I'm glad we've sort of spoken about it on the pod because I know a lot of people would want us to speak about it uh, just because of how mine since since the game on, on Sunday. Um, we'll move on. We'll move on. I was going to do a hot topic, but I think we might leave that this week. We, we could talk briefly about the Chelsea-Man City game. I mean... It was blockbuster Premier League action. Um, been blessed in the last couple of weeks with really good games. Obviously, the Spurs-Chelsea game last Monday night and then Chelsea against Man City on Sunday. Are we, as much as it pains you to say, Craig, are Chelsea looking, they're looking like they're running a bit of a resurgence under Pochettino. I quite like the way he's managing that team at the moment. I quite like the way some of their players are playing. It's now three games they've played against sort of top opposition in well, I don't know about you, yeah, but the Chelsea game I thought was peak, peak Premier League Barclays football, and they've gone from a mediocre team to having a four-one against Spurs, which obviously was not a four-one game, but that's besides the point. It had everything, to then a four-all draw at home to City, which again had everything, had VAR discussions or controversy actually, so I say VAR controversy. And just a ton of goals, and it's everything that you kind of want in a Premier League game. It was the best advert for Premier League football that we've had in such a long time. Yeah, I, I think they're actually better against teams that will come at them, whereas they struggled against yes. us because they had we to break us that. down. Dan, thoughts on the title race? Now we've got Arsenal, Spurs, City and Liverpool all sort of in and around that area of the top of the table. Who is a front runner in your eyes? Are we going to see another season of Man City's dominance? I know it's quite hard to look past them, um, but what do you think? I've always said City, but I think if someone's going to challenge them, I think it'll be Liverpool this year. I'm not sure Arsenal are quite hitting the levels they did last season. I think Tottenham, it's far too early. 
Um, obviously, they're doing very well, but I think it's far too early for Tottenham. Um, and Liverpool, they really impressed me, actually, on Sunday. I think their firepower in particular, you know, they've got those front three. They started Gapo again as well against us. They can get bring Diaz off the bench, I think. Going forward, especially, they're, you know, amazing. And obviously, they've revamped their midfield. Um, people like Van Dijk are more on form again this season. They've got, you know, perhaps the best fullbacks in the league. So, I think if anyone's going to challenge City, I think it will be Liverpool. Um, and I think they're playing in two weeks' time. So, maybe we'll talk about that on that podcast and we'll see um, we'll see what it's looking like then. But I think if Liverpool turns City over in the next game, then they've got every chance. Yeah, no, I think I think I agree, especially after the, the performance on the weekend. Really good, especially going forward. They've got so much so much depth in attack, and now they've got that kind of they've got all those players they needed in midfield. They look like a problem with City not looking to be hitting the heights that they did last season. Anyway, we'll round off by just going back to Brentford. Craig, what have you made of this last month's games? Um, obviously, the points are now coming, which is good. I didn't wasn't really too confident going into Liverpool anyway, and we played well, better than I thought we would, and had chances and had a better XG than Liverpool. Like we, in another day, we could have gone one nil up or two nil up, and it could have been a very different game. We'd be talking about four wins, but I think since the last international break, a lot has changed. Uh, yeah. The relegation scares are gone. What's your like closing thoughts going into this international break this week? All I'll say is I'm a lot happier where we are now compared to where we were when we left for the last international break. The last run of few rock, few fixtures we've had, sorry, can't get my bloody words out. The last <laughs> run of fixtures that we've had, a lot of people went in with not very much high hopes, thinking we might only pick up a couple of points here or there. And the fact that we've taken nine points from the last four games, to me, I would have taken that beforehand anyway. So I'm very happy. And uh, I just hope that Aussie... Once we kick on after the international break again, we can pick up a few more points, get to Christmas and be in a good place. Obviously, Arsenal's going to be difficult, but maybe, as Dan said about Liverpool, it might be a bit of a free hit. But we're at home. Anything could happen. So let's uh, let's just kick on after Arsenal and see what happens. 100%. I think we drew a win against Arsenal as well. And we're playing them under the lights. We've that. Um, should be a really good game, and I think yeah, just echoing everything you said. Really, it's been the last three, the last four performances, so many positives to take, and nine points. Who, well, I don't think any of us would have predicted us getting nine points from these four games. So it's, it's definitely been a fruitful period, and the opposite of what we've seen so far this season. I think that'll be a good place to wrap up there, chaps. Eden Road Podcast. We'll be back next week with some special episodes, so do keep your eyes peeled for that, as well as an Arsenal preview. Haven't decided. Yeah, probably someone who does like doesn't uh, despise refs as much as the last Liverpool guy I had on. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so keep your eyes peeled for that. And remember, if you haven't listened to the podcast before, please do subscribe to our Spotify and YouTube channels, leave a rating and follow on our socials as at the Elam Road on Twitter and at Elam Road Pod Instagram. Dan Craig, it's been a pleasure, chaps, and uh, we'll see you soon. Podcast Network.